if you um, have been following along, you know we're sort of on this journey, uh, going through this series that we're calling Becoming Everyday Disciples. Um, and, and my aim, as I've sort of explained a couple times, is to invite you to be a part of something, like to invite all of us to be a part of something. And I'm asking you to participate in becoming a disciple. And I know that's a little arrogant, like, who am I to do that? And haven't you been doing that all along? But, but I'm asking us to do it in, in a particular way, to express our discipleship as people who are a part of I-90 Community Church um, by taking on six habits, things that we will share together. I'd like these things to be like just, just part of our culture here, things that we just think of like when we think of disciple, we think of, well, we're doing these things. We're probably doing other things as well. I'm not asking you to only be a disciple this way, but I'm asking you to minimally participate in discipleship, living out your discipleship, your apprenticeship to Jesus in, in at least these six ways, putting our belief in, beliefs into practice, into action, Right? And I'm, I'm really excited about this series. Um, I've already been excited to see some of the results because um, we've gone through two disciplines so far, and, and both of those are like missional things, how we like engage in God's mission in the world, um, things that we can do to be both a light in the world and a presence to people, being able to minister uh, Jesus and, and, and uh, advance the kingdom. And the things that we've looked at so far is that I've challenged you to, to bless one follower of Jesus and one person who does not yet follow Jesus each week, to do that intentionally, to set out and plan to bless people, because it's the way that God engages the world. He blesses people. Believe it or not, he's not a, not a God who curses. He's not a God who punishes. He's, he's a God who, who primarily, in, in his essence, in, in, in his mission, in his purpose, is going about engaging the world through blessing the world. And then I've also challenged you to, to eat with someone uh, that you would not normally eat with twice a month. You know, you could do more, you could do less, but I feel like twice a month we can all manage. And, and coffee counts as eating. You don't have to actually eat there drinking, drinking coffee together. Sharing times where you can just, just gather with people, uh, gather around a table, uh, share your life. Um, and last week, you guys shared some stories about ways that you were blessing, um, and, and I hope that was helpful. My reason um, in wanting us to all kind of share stories is not to, you know, ourselves on the back, um, but to help us be a little bit more creative and open up our, our ways of thinking about how we can really um, encourage people uh, in, in ways that seem so simple. But when we do simple things intentionally in faith, I think they make a big difference. Um, after uh, Sunday morning, somebody shared a story actually on that same channel, and I, I, we'll use that every now and then. I'll let you know when I'm asking you to participate in that way. We're not going to do that this morning because, as you'll see, the topic, I think, is maybe a little... I don't want to say it's too personal, but, well, I'll explain that in a second. Uh, but somebody participated afterwards, and they shared a story of a meal. Uh, uh, they had someone over, and they, and they ate with them. And I just want to read you what they said, okay? So, because we invited someone we know from work, somebody who, uh, a family who is not, who, who's recently immigrated to this country, um, over to work for a meal to give them a night off from making dinner, and we let all the kids play together and, and gave time for us grown-ups to connect. And then this is the important part. It was a little awkward at first. Kids were shy. Small talk felt forced. Once we finished eating dinner, the awkwardness lifted. Kids played well together. And we had a really great time getting to know one another. And these people followed up and just, just were so thankful that someone would invite them into their home because they're far from their home. 
And um, I, I wanted to point that out for two reasons. Number one, just to say yes. If you think, oh, having people over will be awkward. Yes, it will. Don't, don't delude yourself. Yes, it's going to be awkward. Like the getting to know you period in a relationship is, is difficult, but come on, like you'll get through it. That's what the meal is for so that you can, when you don't have anything to say, you can just go, and it's all right. You have something to do with your mouth. That's important. I understand. Um, so look, it, I'm, I wanted to encourage you guys in that, and I wanted to encourage you that it will make such a difference when, when we take up these things and do them intentionally in light of what we know about God and who he is and how he's engaging the world. Um, you know, the Seattle freeze is real, but we can just be like the Seattle sun. Is there a sports team? That, that would be an ironic name for a Seattle sports team, wouldn't it? The sun. Just a joke. They're really bad. <laughs> they never show up. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, you'd be like the people who are coming up and we're bringing light in, into the world and, and caring about people, especially caring about, honestly, like it's such an easy thing. And anyone who works, you know, in Seattle, in tech, like there are people who are not from this country who, who probably have almost no community in their life. And man, that's such an easy way to do missions. Like, like the whole world is right here in Seattle. Come on. Let's go and, and, and share Jesus with those people. Um, so I wanted to encourage you guys that. And, and today we're just moving along in this acronym. The acronym is B-E-C-O-M-E, become, right? We talked about B and E. And we're moving on to C. Um, and it's not a missional habit this morning. Actually, we're going on to something that is about really formation, discipleship, really like personal formation. How do I become somebody who's moving forward in my relationship with Jesus, becoming more Christ-like? Something that you can do to shape your interior life to become more like Jesus. And it's a simple thing. It's a thing you're probably familiar with. It's called confession. The C is confession. I should have done a drum roll, but... Um, and what I'm asking you is to develop um, a, a habit of confession to God and others at least once a week. Now, um, casual survey, what do you think of when you think of confession? What's that? Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, you think of a little room with a curtain. You go in there, and it's got a little window, randomly opens, and you're supposed to tell your deepest, darkest secrets to this person. And then, yeah, yeah, so, so think of that, and then just erase that. Erase that from your mind. Okay, just... That's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about confession. And, and all that, just throw that out. I'm, not, I'm not, even, not even making a judgment call about that. It's not even about that. But that is not what I'm thinking about when I'm asking you to do this. I'm not asking you to come to me or for me to be involved in, in any way, except as a, like a friend. <laughs> um, so, so that's not it, okay? So just put that right out of your mind. Um, but what I am asking you to do is to practice confession because confession is something that Christians have done even before this was a formal rite in the Catholic Church. They've done it for thousands of years. <laughs> it's been important. It's something that Christians have practiced. It's also a thoroughly biblical practice that is, I think, vital to your spiritual growth. Um, a pastor named James Wilhoit, who wrote a book which is hilariously titled, I think, Spiritual Disciplines as If the Church Mattered, which I just, I just think that is like a really great title for a book because most of the time we, we think that the church doesn't play any role in our spiritual disciplines, but we should actually think of them as the church and this, this gathering of saints is actually being a place where spiritual disciplines are, are, are happening. But he says this, uh, he makes an observation. He says, a number of years ago, I talked with a friend who told me that he was spiritually stuck. Part of his problem was wondering where to go next spiritually since he had taken care of all the big sins in my life. He goes on, 
here was a man who, after several decades in the church, had not learned to make repentance and confession a true part of his life. And now I'm not going to ask you to respond to this out loud, but in your mind, just like answer the question, have you ever felt like this? You ever felt like this person? And I, I say that because I know I have. I have felt like this person. I feel both stuck, and getting stuck is easy. Um, I, I feel stuck because I feel like, man, I, I kind of, I've, I've been following Jesus for 25 years, okay? I know I'm like six years old, but I've been following Jesus for 25 years, um, and like, I, I've been stuck um, before, and I, I get to the point where I start to feel like, man, like, like, I'm not doing all the stuff I used to do, because right? there was a time when, when I was struggling with certain things in my life, but I kind of at this point where I'm just like, I live a fairly boring life. Happy, happy to be bored. Like happy to things just be, just be normal. I don't, I don't have a wild life anymore. Um, and I sometimes feel like I'm just kind of, kind of stuck. And I, I know that getting stuck is easy, but I really believe that for, for anybody in that situation, or or if honestly, or if you're in a situation where your life is, is not at all settled and you feel like you have a lot to be confessing, that's fine too. Um, like Jesus is the solution for everybody here. We have, though, a solution no matter where we're at, whether we are, like, really aware of our sins or whether we're just kind of at this point where we maybe plateaued spiritually. And it's to intentionally do the things that we're instructed in Scripture, the, the things that, that, like, we are commanded to do in Scripture, not for the sake of just checking off boxes and just say, well, I'm being a biblical Christian, right? But because these are things, practices that the early church did that were designed to grow them spiritually over the long term of their life. If we look into the New Testament, I think it's really clear that confession was a part of the, the practice of the early church. It was something they, they built in. It was a discipline that they practiced. We see an example of that in James 5. Um, it's commended. He says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can, can accomplish much. Like the context of that is, is a particular need for healing, but I mean, there's this understanding throughout the, the New Testament that the, the community of believers were people who were confessing to God and also confessing to one another, confessing their sins to one another. It's just very much on its face. The discipline of confession, talking to another believer who, who can pray for you and encourage you and bless you, it's just something I think that needs to be done. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be done intentionally. But maybe you feel like this, this guy, this guy from this, from, this, from this little story, who's taken care of the, the big sins in his life, and you're wondering, well, I mean, like, what exactly am I supposed to be confessing? I don't need to do it every week? Oh, man. And it's a fair question. Again, one I've asked myself over the over the, the years, but I think it comes from an error of thinking about confession on, on two levels. Number one, both in understanding what confession is, and number two, in understanding what sin is. So I want us to clarify these two things. What is confession and, and what is sin? And we'll start with the sin question, okay? Uh, so we tend to think of sin through a single lens, through a single lens. And, and that is just this. We think that sin is a violation of law. It's a legal problem. God has made his law. He's told us what we should do. He's told us what's right. And so we think that sin is just breaking God's rules. And that's a correct definition of sin. 
Do you hear that part? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not denying that that is part of sin. I'm just saying that is not all of what sin is biblically. It's not all of what, how sin is un- understood uh, biblically. Sin is a legal violation, a violation of God's laws. When we do things that we ought not to do because God has made it totally clear to us what sin is. Pretty straightforward. But it's not the only dimension of sin. Let's look at Romans 5 for a second, okay? So I've got the NLT translation. It's sort of a a looser translation, but I think it makes things a little more clear. And I think it does well, especially in these Pauline passages. So Romans 5, 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. But it was not counted as sin, because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even before the Ten Commandments came down. There was all this law given. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God, as Adam did. See, Paul understood is that sin is like a train. It runs on two rails, right? Sin without, with one rail can't, uh, a train without one rail can, can't go anywhere. Sin is like a train, it runs on two rails. There's the legal dimension of sin, the breaking of God's laws. That is sin that we find very easy to understand, and most of us like, go to that definition. Sin is when I disobey God. But what Paul describes is actually a dimension of sin that is, is prior to that, that is, that is unrelated to legal violation. And it's what we call, it's what I like to call like the relational dimension of sin. Sin which brought death even to those who did not disobey the explicit commandment of God. There's just this thing that's happened, it's happened to everyone, and it is breaking of relationship. See, even before law was given, sin was in the world. Sin uh, arising from Adam's disobedience was wrecking havoc, breaking relationship, bringing death. Not death as a punishment for breaking law, but death as a consequence. Death as a consequence of something that Adam did. Because of what Adam did, what did he do? He he disobeyed, but what he did is he disrupted God's design for people. God's design for him. He broke a relationship that he was designed for and that we are designed for. See, See, the world as God has designed it, is not a world governed by law, but a world more fundamentally governed by relationship. What makes us right is being in right relationship with God. And this is, I think, the way Paul describes this in other places, he uses the word flesh to describe this relational dimension of sin. So if you're familiar with, with Paul's writings, flesh, is, is, it goes hand in hand. Colossians 2.13 is a good example. He kind of lays out both of these, these rails. He says, you were dead in your transgressions, the legal dimension of sin, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. This relational fleshliness, this worldliness. But God has brought a solution to both of them. I think we need to make sure that we get that in. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your transgressions. See, instead of being in a spiritual relationship with God, a relationship that we're designed to be in, we are stuck in our flesh, which is a state of just self-dependence. Flesh is just me. It's just that my world is just about this, which is dying. But I'm called to a spiritual life with God. I was designed for a spiritual life with God. We were created to be sustained by life with God. 
We were made to depend on him and to know him and to trust in him. But Adam's sin dislocates us from that relationship, and it's a huge problem. Just as big of a problem for me as having broken God's law for the things that I've done. So what is confession then? Because I'm arguing that if we misunderstand sin, we're also, and that's a problem, but we're also misunderstanding confession. See, most of us think of confession as relating to the first dimension of sin, right? The legal dimension of sin. We think confession is owning up to the ways in which I've broken God's law. And it is. It is certainly owning up to the ways in which I've broken God's law. But it is not only that. The the Greek word for confess is homo logeo. Homo logeo. And it's a compound word. And I hate it when pastors do this because sometimes it just doesn't work like this. But in this instance, it really does work pretty well together, I think. Um, Homo, like the same, of like, likeness, right? And logeo is to speak. And so confession is to speak alike, to say the same thing. It's about agreement with God. God says, this is what's real, this is what's true, this is what's right, sin is sin. Confession is coming right along God and saying, yeah, you know what, God, you are right. I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna agree with you. Sin is sin. I've broken your law. I've done wrong things. And also, my life, I am stuck in, except, except for you provide for me, I am stuck in this place. See, God says don't do X, Y, Z because it's bad. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't curse. Don't kill. Don't hate. Don't get drunk. Don't sleep around. And confession is just agreeing with God. It's calling a spade a spade. Yeah, those things are bad. I've done some of those things. I need forgiveness. Confession is admitting the, way, admitting the ways in which we violated God's laws. But there is more to that. There is more to it. Because there's more to sin than that. In, in fact, I, I think a lot, a lot of people I think in this room, because I, I think a lot of us have been following Jesus for a long time. A lot of people in this room have probably gotten to the point where it would be difficult for you to, to point, point your finger at some specific sin in your life. It's, it becomes more difficult over time because the obvious things, by God's grace, get taken care of. But even in those times, what, what, what I'm arguing is, is that I'm going to feel the weight of sin in the second dimension. I'm going to feel the weight of my flesh and my brokenness. Because, because I'm going to feel the weight of how dislocated I am from God. I'm going to feel the relational disruption of, of, of being in my flesh. I'm going to feel the weight of it. I'm going to, 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 to uh, say, look, God, I, I'm going to feel this in my heart. I know the way that I'm supposed to be. I know that you've done so much for me. And I know that I'm just called to love you with all my heart and with all my soul and with all of my strength. But, I mean, if I'm honest about what I actually feel like a lot of the times. A lot of the times I feel just like in my flesh. Like I feel discouraged. I I feel disempowered. I feel unable. I feel weak. I feel worn out. I, I, I I don't 
don't have it in me. I feel like I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to measure up to, to the calling that I have. And it's right in that, it's right in that area that we need to confess. And confession, this kind of confession, it's not about performance adjustment, right? Because a lot of times when I, when I, when I understand, man, I, I just agree with God about what is sin, and I understand that I need to repent, which means I need to put that away. I need to stop doing those things. It's not about performance adjustment. Con- confession is not only about conform- performance adjustment, saying, like, I did wrong, I'll do better next time. It's not always about breaking law. Confession in this dimension is about relational calibration. It's about saying, oh, God, you know, just because of who I am, just because of the weakness that, that is very much alive in me, I have forgotten about you. I've forgotten about, about what you call me to. I've forgotten to live a life filled with your spirit. Would you, would you teach me, Lord? Would you, would you teach me to remember? Would you teach me how to persist in this relationship? We need to be honest about what this looks like because, I mean, like, again, most of us, I think, are, are thinking of, of confession, right? Like, if, 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 if turning from sin is repentance, so say I'm, I'm living in this direction, I'm going this direction, I'm walking this direction, and it's, it's sin, we think, well, okay, so to, to repentance you know, confess, is confessing to God and turning around and going the other way back towards, 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 towards the Lord, walking towards him. And I, and I think that's it. But here's the reality. Here's how it functionally plays out. I don't know if this is working at all, right? Just, I, think, I, I think it might be working, okay? All right, so, so here's the reality is that I, like, live um, in, in sin in flesh oftentimes, you know, and God will sometimes point things out to me. And here's what I do. I, I, I have conviction of my sin. I'm, I have an awareness of it. I, I feel it. And what I do is I take a half a turn to this point where I say, okay, God, I want to turn away from these things. I have an awareness that these, this way is bad, like, like the way of sin is bad, both, both, both in my actions, like, like I'm doing wrong things, and I, I need to confess those things, but also like I, I'm just aware that things aren't as they should be. And I do this half turn thing where I'm like, yeah, I understand this is bad. But confession is actually going the rest of the way. And it involves something else. Turning away from sin, but turning towards hope. And if you miss the turning towards hope in confession, you're, this is what you need. Like, you are going to be stuck. Because as much as we need to agree with God about sin, both I've done wrong and also, man, I'm just not right. Something is wrong with me. I need to look to God towards the real solution which he's promised. Romans 5, 16, Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gifts leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through, <laughs> over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Skipping ahead a little bit to verse 21. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead giving us a right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
You do not need confession in your life to manage sin. That's just like turning halfway, turning away from sin. You need to build confession into your life because your calling in Jesus is to live new and empowered and eternal kind of life with God. A life that has been made new because Jesus has given you eternal life. He's given you right standing. He's given you a way to overcome the old man and live as a new man. When we confess, we are not just talking primarily about what we've done. We absolutely have to get to what Jesus did. If you don't get to what Jesus did, you are not confessing to any purpose. Like, you are actually confessing to shame. And you're going to stay in that place. You have to keep hope when you confess. There's just nothing else to it. There's no other point to it. Hebrews 4, one of my favorite verses, it says this. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our what? Confession. Same word. Homologeo. The same word. Now, that's not holding fast to the things that I've done. He's certainly not telling me that. He's saying, hold fast to the hope that we have. The hope that we have a priest who you bring him your sin. He makes an offering and he makes you right. The hope isn't that, oh, well... God's not mad at me. The hope is God has opened up a way, a way (laughs) that I can be right with him. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all the things that we are and yet is without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. See, confession is agreeing with God. It's calling sin, sin. It's calling weakness, weakness. Calling disobedience what it is. Calling my flesh what it is. But it is also in the same breath calling my hope what it is. My hope is not that I'll do better next time. Repentance is certainly turning away from sin, like like doing all that I can so that I don't keep repeating the same mistakes 100%. But my hope is not my strength, my willpower. My hope is the gift of God, his mercy, the kindness of my Savior, the things that he done. My, my, My hope is that Jesus has already paid the price for all the wrongs that I've ever done. For all of my weakness, he's already poured out grace more than enough. He's already dealt with my sin. He's already dealt with my guilt. He's already dealt with my shame. He's already dealt with my flesh. He's already dealt with my weakness. And I can fully turn away from it and get my eyes on him and just receive from him all the things that he wants to do. Because he's already purchased that for me by dying on a cross. He's already washed me clean. And so confession is just moving into what Jesus has done and setting my hope firmly upon that. So you need confession, not so you can get to forgiveness, but so you can be reminded of the forgiveness Jesus has already bought for you, so that you can live into that. 
not so that you can make your way, earn your way into a right relationship with God, but so that you can start to live from that right relationship, that place of dependence, that place of empowering, that place where he is working out the things. So to sum it up, I've got a slide here, okay? Confession is agreeing with God first about sin, what it is, and what it's done to me, and agreeing with God about where my hope is, and it's in Jesus. It's not that I will be a stronger man next time. It's that he will be a stronger, more gracious savior who is teaching me in the way that only he could how to walk in this new life that he's bought for me. It is that I would become more dependent upon him and what he's done. That's my hope. My hope is in Jesus. And it's something that I need to do on purpose, and I need to do it often. And I'm just suggesting arbitrarily every week, you want to do it every day? God bless you, but let's start somewhere. Um, and I think starting somewhere would be to actually do this every week. Just to get really practical here, I'm asking you to do this to God and with people. And, and so just to first talk about the, the private side of confession, that is, in my prayer life, um, I have a little, little graph that I, I think will be really helpful. <laughs> you see what I'm trying to communicate here? I think most of the time we think, ah, 90% confession, talking about all the bad things I did. Maybe, maybe about like 1%, 10%, I don't know, a little bit left over to talk about hope. We need to, we need to get that ratio the other way. You've got to have more hope in confession than you have despair and like, just like talking about all your problems. Hope, hope is the point of confession. Even in the Catholic Church, you know what they call confession? You know what the, the formal name for confession is? The rite of absolution. That is the putting away of sin. We, 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 we tend to confess and think, it's just my, it's the time where I feel really guilty. <laughs> Man, yeah, I mean, you know, like you're going to feel guilty, but like we look to what God has done, his forgiveness. So we've got to spend time as we're confessing, sitting with the Lord, praying, identifying like sins, legal issues, things where we're just like, I am being disobedient in these things putting my finger to them, confessing them before God. And also, if I'm just like in this place where I'm like, I can't point to anything in particular, but I just, just, things are not as they should be. Just sitting with God, talking to God about that. What does that feel like? What does that look like? What is that? I'm, I'm all for therapy and mental health, but this is really important <laughs> too. Both and, both and. And I think a lot of times we're not making use of all the resources we have as Christians to be honest about what it is to be a person. To, to be a person is to feel things that in our culture we just say are mental health problems. Everybody feels discouraged. Everybody feels like you're not measuring up. Everybody feels like man, life isn't all, all it's cut out to be. And certainly, like, like there's, a, there's a place for, for good therapy. We, we, we need that. But we also just, like, should probably make use as Christians of what we have right in front of us, which is that we have this hope. And we need to sit and stew and lay hold of that hope greedily. 
greedily. Like, we need to have a kind of attitude where we're just like, you know, like, like where we can identify what's going on in our hearts. Like, we can identify flesh and weakness and discouragement and just say, but I have a cure for that. It's right here. It's this hope that Jesus is, is, is spoken to me and brought me to. Like, he, like it's, 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 it's this throne of grace that I can come before, not feeling bad, but like feeling the, my weakness and my disempowerment and turning to him and just being like, okay, God, like I want all that you've got. I need to agree with you about where my hope is. So your, your time of confession, you know, talking about prayer, talking about weakness, but also just like spending time with God, asking him, Lord, what have you provided for me in the middle of my sin, in the middle of my weakness, and reminding myself of hope. I think the Christian life is a lot about, about talking to yourself. I, just be honest about that. A lot, of, a lot of Christian life is talking to yourself. It's directing your own soul, your own heart to hope in God. Read the Psalms. That's all that is. So there's that. There's this, this private practice. So get with God, spend half the time or less identifying the sin and half the time or more really just leaning into hope. Spend time talking, looking at what Jesus has done, thinking about what Jesus has done, meditating on what Jesus has done, and spending time in Scripture reading about what Jesus has done because it is the solution and it's part of confession to get my eyes onto hope. And then there's this issue of one to another. Worship team's going to come up here right now, um, but I want us to think about what it might look like to be a church that is, is um, willing to do this, right? To just be honest about what's going on. I have a little, little quote here from a pastor named uh, Tyler Staten, who, who I like. <laughs> um, he says this, The desperate need of our time." is not for successful Christians, popular Christians, or winsome Christians. It's for deep Christians. And the only way to become a deep Christian is through the inner excavation called confession. The pathway of spiritual maturity is a descent. It's not an ascent. A maturing community is a confessing community. Not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. And I think that last little line is so powerful. It's not a church without sin, but a church without secrets. The thing is, like, I, I've tried to, to put my finger on what I think are, are things that are common in the Christian life. This, this, this feeling of discouragement, the feeling of, um, you know, I mean, yeah, like sin is one, like, just obvious, like, legal sin. I'm, I'm violating God's law. But also just, like, like the, the difficulties, the challenges, the, the mental and spiritual challenges of, of, of walking an empowered life, like, living full of the Spirit. Like, like, we all feel these things. But you know what? I almost never hear anybody talk about it. We talk about these things that we all feel like they're problems without solutions. <laughs> but we have hope. And I think a lot of times it's just like, we, we just like think that there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us because we feel discouraged sometimes. There's something wrong with us that we, that we feel like, um, I don't know, like we're not 100% together. We're like, our, like we're not living on the mountaintop experience of our faith all the time. And you know what? Like, it, I, will, I will say we need to confess that's not how we, how we ought to be. That's not what we're called to be. But 100%, like, like we need to be a church that's honest about what's going on. And how many times have you sat through a sermon? Where the pastor said, you guys got to encourage each other and share life together and stuff like that. And then, 
And how many times have I given that sermon? Probably a couple times. You've probably heard me say things like that. Um, but I mean, this is like, this is it. We've just got to understand some, a few things. We need to understand that um, like the Christian life is not easy. It comes with struggles. It comes with difficulties. Uh, but we need to be honest about those things. And then we need to be people who learn this habit of going from here to here. Going from, okay, I'm aware of my sin, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to deal with it, but how do I get to this place of empowerment? The truth is most of us are not honest that, that we just are this way. Let's just be honest. Most of us just live this way. I don't want that, but I'm not over here. And what we need to do is be honest, like be a church without secrets, and then be people who have trained ourselves how to go from this to this. How to encourage one another when we see, hey, I think you're just, I think you're just like this. I think you're just in this place where, like, yeah, you're dealing with stuff, but I'm not sure if you're really laying hold of the hope. And we can do that together through our words, through, through prayer. Like, we see somebody who's struggling. Hey, here's, here's, here's the, the thing I want to challenge you to do. You see someone, a Christian who's struggling, and, and they're sort of in this place. Like, you recognize it because you've been there yourself. Don't give them any advice. Don't, don't open your mouth. <laughs> don't do that. Just say, can I pray for you? And just pray the promises and the hope that they can have. Man, we don't need more advice. We need to be people who are without secrets, who are honest about what's really going on, and who are just, like, dead set, dead set about doing this last 90-degree turn, turning to hope. Because there's so many Christians who have no hope in their life. Let's not do that. Like, let's be joyful confession, confessing people. Let's be people who are just like, yeah, I love it that I can turn away from sin. I love it that I can turn away from brokenness and find wholeness in Jesus Christ. Let's be people who are speaking that out and encouraging one another in that. Let's be people who are praying and who are building each other up. Let's be people who are laying hold of all that Jesus has done. Amen? All right, we're going to stand up. We're not even going to pray. We're going to go right into worship because we got a banger going on. I 